0: become for yourselves and others in keeping the promise, that's what's expansive, that's what's powerful, and that's what's the essence of really tying in one's character to the fulfillment of a promise, because someone who has developed character relates to their promise not as words like the old college try or giving it their (laughs) all. You know, we relate to our word as ourself.
1: You're listening to the business of thought leadership with Nikki Baloo and Michael Palmer. Hello, this is Nikki Baloo with the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm here with my amazing co host, Michael Palmer. Say hi, Michael. Hello. Awesome. And we have got a real treat for you here today. Today's guest is none other than the great, the legendary, the epic Glenn Estrabillo. Glenn is the CEO of One Plus 12, a company that does incredible, amazing real estate investment education for people. Glenn's been involved in this business for several years, and he himself is a very successful real estate investor in his own right. So not only does he have thought leadership in this area, but he's actually someone who's lived it and practiced it for well over a decade. His background and resume are incredibly impressive. He retired for the first time from real estate investment at the age of 28. Then he messed it up, as he put it, and unretired. But he did it right the next time, retired at 32. But at 32 and a half, he figured out he was way too young to be retired. So he got in the business of taking what he'd learned and putting it into practice, helping other people do the same. And that's where his thought leadership really shines. So hello,
0: Glenn. Say hello to everybody on the podcast, buddy. Hello, hello. It's awesome to be here. Thank you, Nikki and Michael.
2: It's great to have you, Glenn. yep
0: Truly it is. A
1: big part of what this podcast is all about is we talk about what your thought leadership is, but we really delve into the business of thought leadership. So in other words, my man, how is it that you conduct the business end of your thought leadership and how can other thought leaders listening to you learn from that and apply it to their own thought leadership and their own thought leader practice? But before we get into that, Glenn, why don't you tell us a little bit about the actual thought leadership that you have, what are the key principles that you preach to people and why is it that you feel it's been falling on receptive ears?
0: Thought leadership, you know, that's obviously at the forefront of everything. You know, we think thoughts the way that uh, we distinguish it at uh one plus 12 is when you really are thinking and applying real intellectual effort that's distinct from just having thoughts. So thought leadership really for for us is about creation. So a big uh, principle that we teach and espouse and live by is how can one actually create first with their thinking, distinct from having thoughts, and then pursue the manifestation of those thoughts. And that really is the essence of entrepreneurship. And that's what we espouse at 1 Plus 12. So could you expand on the distinction between having thoughts and creating with your thinking? Because I think that's important. Very much so. Very important. Critical. So having thoughts is, for example, we can't stop having thoughts. Like right now, if I said to you, don't think about a pink elephant, I'm sure all your listeners and we're all familiar with that. The moment someone says you don't think of a pink elephant, what immediately pops into your head? Pink elephants. Pink, then blue. Then can I? What if I change it
2: and think about a blue elephant? <laughs> yeah. I got you. <laughs> <Maybe> not
0: <get laughs> to here. And largely, and now it's probably still going. And for Michael's case, it's now multicolored. By this time, it just keeps changing <laughs> <Rainbow>. colors. <laughs> but those thoughts just—they just keep coming, whether we control them or not, whether we want them or not. And it's a running narrative that always has you know, been in existence for us from the time that we can even remember. So that's having thoughts and that narrative is always constant and it's always there, which is distinct from applying real intellectual effort to think creatively. So what the main distinction is, is when you're thinking creatively, it's what you're creating is in connection to you and what you innately and uniquely have to offer. So it's not like you're inheriting anything with this new way of thinking. You're actually creating from nothing because nothing is a precondition for creation. And so when you're creating something from nothing, those kinds of thoughts now to exist in the world beyond the point of thinking them has got to be followed through with action so that it can be manifested in reality. And so that's the difference between having thoughts where pink elephant, then nothing really is being manifested, right? You're not, we don't have a blue or multicolored elephant in the room right now because there's no activity given to those thoughts that we just have randomly. But when you're thinking creatively now and following through with the action, now there's a realizable shot at manifesting that which you thought and created from nothing. Wow. That's absolutely brilliant. I love
1: that. I've never quite heard it put that way. And it's really cool how you said it. Having a thought is, it's just a thought. There's no action following it. But thinking creatively is you think through something and you follow it through with an action. So, I mean, I myself, you know, have been dealing, for example, lately with an injury, right? And a lot of time I've been having thoughts about it, like it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, Mm -hmm. it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. But thinking creatively would be, okay, I'm putting together a plan to heal it. I've got a vision for it being healed and being perfect so I can, you know, do what I used to do and and, and even better. And then the action would be, I take some steps to actually heal it. I go see a particular practitioner and create a plan and, you know, use some tools to help that happen. So that's the difference between just having a thought, ow, 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 Mm -hmm. and, and thinking creatively, here's the path to success. Absolutely. Great example, Nikki. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, this is brilliant thought leadership and I can see why it's valuable and it's falling on receptive ears. Now, talk to me a little bit about, you know, if you were giving advice to a thought leader listening to this, how would you say your story of how you developed the way you deliver your thought leadership? could be of interest to them, i.e., what could they learn from exactly how it is
0: that you spread your thought leadership to people? Okay, how I spread my thought leadership to people.
2: (laughs) And and I can maybe add something to that as as well as for myself. You know, I think of if I'm doing my thinking, one of the thoughts that I'm having is that the thinking will not be good enough. Mm -hmm. So the thought like Nikki's thinking about his injury He's thinking, oh, I've got this injury and it hurts. I'm thinking, okay, I've got this uh, idea. I've put a whole bunch of thought around it. And what my actual thought is, it's not going to be good enough. It won't be. It won't resonate with the audience. So is that applicable to what you're talking about? And if that was the case, how would what you're talking about around thinking creatively, because I'm sure there's, I'm not the only thought leader that has this thought. How would you approach that, Glenn?
0: So in that regard, Michael, it's, it's, it's really great because... Um Oftentimes, especially when we're creating an authentic thought that we want to pursue, what naturally comes up almost immediately thereafter is the counter thought, or the, what we call counter intention. Okay, and that's solely just designed really to thwart the fulfillment of that thought that you just created. Now, you can look at that and that uh, that thwarting intention of oh, I just don't think it's good enough, and you can allow that to stop you. However, what you got to realize is that counter intention or that counter thought is actually a great signal for you that you've actually created something authentically. Because notice about the pink elephant, you don't have any self-doubt about that. That's because when you have thoughts, it's not actually going to afford your progression. The moment you create an authentic thought that you can follow through with in action the presence of a counterintention will already always be there as well. But you can use that counterintention not to stomp you and not to believe the counterintention, but to signal to you that, hey, because I have this doubt that it's not good enough, that must mean that what I just thought and created is actually mine, meaning it wasn't inherited. And so, when we have these thoughts like, ah, I don't think it's good enough or I can't do this, that's actually a signaling, that's a positive feedback loop to you to let you know that, hey, you've got actually something here to run with. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't have the counter intention or the counter thought. So this is just a way that one could alter their experience of those, those self-doubts or those self-criticisms to have it be a tool for you to signal that, What you just created is actually in line with your expansion of yourself, okay? And when you can experience these counter thoughts or these counter intentions in that way, they lose the ability to stop you or thwart you. In fact, they become a supporting reason for why to follow through with what you just created. And that's something that everybody can apply right now with anything, whether it be in business or their health you know, going to pick what restaurant. When I'm authentically creating, if I don't have a counter thought, that's when I'm worried. Because that's when I'm suspicious that, oh, what I've just been thinking about may not actually be something that's going to expand me. Because I don't have that counter intention. Something to share with your listeners is if you're interested in that kind of interplay between the intention and counterintention. Um, we call M1 plus 12 the thesis and the antithesis, which is a further expansion or elaboration from uh, the Hegelian dialectic, which is a valuable tool for anybody. And for your listeners, if uh, they're interested in that, I highly encourage you to do research on Hegel and, and his dialectic, because that's actually a, a pathway to, for lack of a better term, self-direct one's own evolution, which is critical for a thought leader because that's actually what thought leaders do first for themselves and then for others that they're leading.
2: Absolutely. And we'll put that in our show notes for everybody to download. 100%. Man, that was
1: brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. So let's circle what you just said around the loop here and really talk about the business end of thought leadership. For you, What is it that has allowed you to bring your thought leadership to more people and have it be accepted? What things from a business point of view have you done that's had this message get out there in front of the right people, resonate, connect, and convert?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the most important thing is um, trust and building trust in relationships. So it'd be very easy for people objectively to look at my life and my path, where I came from, and to say, oh, you know what? He got lucky after a couple of years being able to retire for the first time at age 28. You know, he must have done some things that were lucky or the conditions were right for him, but it's not for me. One could objectively look at my life path and say that. But the success didn't happen in the moment of retiring. It took years prior And one of the things that um, upon self-reflection and in conversation with uh, my business partners and my other mentors, I really got to the essence of what was a big access to my success in the beginning when I had no wealth or I had no distinction or I had no credibility or confidence. And what it was is I put uh, the biggest focus of mine on developing trust in relationships. And so I made it a point to operate with integrity with the important people in my life, starting with my family and then friends. And then I began to offer what I could with friends and develop relationships. And then their friends told their friends. And by the time I started investing in real estate myself, I had already had people around me who trusted me enough to A, listen to what I'm up to and B, Trade their hard-earned money to participate in something that was a relatively new field for me. So a big part of what led to my success and in in answering your question, Nikki, is focus on building trust in the relationship. And I think I shared this with um, the both of you, but it wasn't until many, many years later that uh, I found out that the root word of money is moneta. And moneta is a ancient aristocratic Latin for trust. And so trust is actually the source of money. Now, I didn't know that when I started, but it's not an accident that a big focus for me in the beginning when I was starting my entrepreneurial ventures was I focused on first building trust with myself and then building trust with the people I care about. And now where it's at is building trust with the general public. And creating new ways to connect with people in new communities and build a bridge from wherever they are financially to a point where they could actually see a new possibility for their own wealth, for themselves, individually, and their family as a result of some of the things that are being communicated, say, in our webinars or our seminars or our workshops. And that's really how we kept the focus on building trust all the way through, even till today, with our even our marketing efforts, as well as our education, delivery, and methodology. Wow. That's brilliant, man. You know what? I have heard you say this to me
1: before, and it's just a really good reminder. It's something that I think people need to get into more and more and understand how important trust is. Part of developing trust with other people is being able to trust yourself, isn't it? A lot of people don't trust themselves in this day and age, because... They give their word and they break it and they think it's okay, but it really isn't because at the level of trust, these folks start to not believe in their own Mm -hmm. word. They start to not believe in their own intentions. So if they can't trust themselves, how can they develop trust with anybody
0: else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it it ties into what we were talking about earlier. Just simply creating a new relationship to those counter thoughts or those counter intentions and instead of letting them be what drives you from that moment, actually relate to that self-doubt or I can't do this or it's not good enough as a signaling for what you just thought prior to that is exactly what there is to do. And that is the first step in building trust in oneself is to recognize what is my pattern that I do to myself to let me know that what I've just created is something for me to expand on and, and further discover. See, when people can relate to their own mechanisms, Like for me, a conversation is very similar to what Michael put forth. Um, You know, it's not good enough, but mine is, I'm not good enough. When I actually relate, when I actually understood every time I hear myself say to myself, I'm not good enough, then what I just thought about is exactly what there was for me to do. Then I stopped having to put so much energy around the I'm not good enough. And I actually think. The fact that I hear myself say that, because that's really my only indicator that what I'm about to do is in line with what's going to expand me. And that's how I began to build my own trust in myself and how anybody else can start building trust with themselves is notice what do you automatically already say to yourself when you have a great idea? That should not be what stops you. That should be the signal that that's the go-ahead. That's the green light to go forward. Get used to that because those counter-thoughts are not going to go away. You know, absolutely.
2: And one of the things uh, that I see in, in myself and, and the people that we work with is it, trust comes from consistency. Mm-hmm. And so when, when, as a thought leader, w- what's important is you have to think. There has to be thought. And it has to be consistent. And so, my disempowering thought of "it's not good enough," which Glenn, as you pointed out, it's actually the same as yours. It's I'm not (laughs) good enough. That's just the next layer, right? Uh, (laughs) Or the layer above. If I if I don't think, if I do not put out my thought, then no one will trust. Well, no one will trust that I'm uh, trust my thoughts, right? And Mm -hmm. then, therefore, there will be no leadership. I mean, inside of leadership is that people choose to follow someone because. They trust them, and it's probably because they're consistent, that they, there's certainty there that that leader will do as they say they're gonna do and go where they say they're gonna go and people wanna go there, so they follow them. Well, that's the same with the thinking. So it's, mm-hmm. people often put out information or ideas and it's just once. Well, no, it's gotta be forever. And like you were talking about, this, your success didn't happen at the success point. It happened years and years and years and years. Thought leadership takes years and years and years of saying the same thing, standing behind it, having commitment
0: to what you're saying. And that's where you become the leader of that thought. Absolutely, yeah, you think it long enough. <laughs> think it long enough and follow through long enough like what as, as well what nikki said you know you make a promise follow through i know it sounds very elementary but if one just takes that practice on with everything that they say and then we also take it to another level cuz let's face it as you're thinking these thoughts consistently and and you know really progressing with the manifestation of your thought as a thought leader, sometimes you will make a promise and you flat out, it just doesn't work to keep that promise. Well, what we say is, unless you've experienced moving mountains, like doing everything possible to keep that promise, unless you experience yourself having done that, and then at the very moment when it's about time to keep that promise, you find that it's not going to work, then and only then, Do you earn the privilege to honor that promise by saying to people, look, I promised you this and I'm not going to deliver on it, but I'm going to deliver on it at a later time or I'm not going to deliver it on it at all. But then deal with the consequences, all the people were counting on you in that moment. But what we say to the people, you know, the people that we work with at 1 plus 12 is you don't get that honor. You don't get that privilege to honor that word until you experience moving mountain to keep that original promise. I love that. Right? That is brilliant. You know what? In a, in, a, in a day and age where
1: people are so cavalier with their word, and I've been guilty of that myself. I've been very cavalier with my word. Understanding that there are real life consequences to that and understanding that the only way you, you earn the right to even consider not keeping your promise is to move mountains, move heaven and earth. It's brilliant, Glenn. Mm -hmm. Love it.
0: Yep. You know, that can be practiced daily, like you were talking about, Michael. You know, think it long enough and follow through long enough. These are just practices that one could take from the point of inception of authentic thought to the manifestation of, you know, living that thought in reality and then being a leader. You know, that's just something that um, I had... uh, privilege of finding out by trial and error. <laughs> and now I, I love the opportunity to, to offer it to your listeners as, hey, look, this pathway is not just something I lived. It's it's actually, it works, <laughs> period. So like you said to Nikki, in this day and age, right? And it does happen. So I wanted to say that because I don't want um, the people listening, like your listeners to think that, oh my gosh, they have to always keep their promise. No, if... Unless you're playing a tiny game in life, there will be promises that you're not going to keep because you're going to make big promises with manifesting your thought and in the industry, carving out your niche as a leader. You're going to make big promises. You're going to play big. And some of those you're not going to keep, but you got to play full out to keep them. That gets you your foot in the door <laughs> to be able to say, at the time when it won't look like you're going to be able to keep that promise for you to to mitigate for the impacts and consequences. That must be preceded by the experience of playing full out, like you said, Nikki, moving heaven and earth. That's just a characteristic of success.
2: I want to make an interesting connection here because... If you think about when someone can't make a promise, often they're making too many promises. Mm-hmm. Right? It's promising everything, getting involved in a whole bunch of different things, and 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 then you can't commit, so you you end up not being able to honor your your promises, your word. They call those people pleasers. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. So in thought leadership, one of the things is if you're trying to, like you say, carve out that niche area—that's mm-hmm. a key word there. So if you're if you're speaking about uh, couples, you're speaking about entrepreneurs, you're speaking about contractors, you're speaking about uh, relationship, you're speaking about leadership—all of these different thoughts—it's going to be very difficult to honor your promise around a specific area of thought. And that's one area where we would want to say, get rid of some of these other thoughts, own and commit to a very focused niche. And honor that. Mm-hmm. And that would be a lot easier to do than having all of these thoughts. So you're setting yourself up for failure otherwise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it in a more concise way, Michael, but absolutely. Well, thanks. I think
2: yeah, the concise was very generous. <laughs> I don't well, have we're to working don't on getting- get called concise. <laughs> We're working
1: on getting Michael to take what he says and say it in one-tenth the number of words. That'll be a big win <laughs> when we get there. But anyways, but he, he's, he's brilliant in terms of expounding on ideas, to be sure. You know, one of the things you said around you're going to break your word, there's another school of thought around that that I learned from Justin Sterling, the creator of the uh, Sterling Men's and the Sterling Women's Weekend. He says that You should absolutely give your word, but then you got to, you got to make it happen. Mm -hmm. There is no not keeping your word. Your, your mind has got to be, I give my word. It's a big word and I'm going to keep it. Whatever it takes, whatever I got to do, I'd rather die than not keep my word. And it's a bit of a different school of thought than what you expounded. But I think, um, I think there's a lot of power in not letting yourself off the hook as well. For sure. Yep. Right, Because too many people let themselves off the hook. They, they might take that as a bit of a backdoor. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it my all, quote, unquote. But it really isn't their all. It's just a politically correct version of their all.
0: Yep. And uh, what you're touching on there, Nikki, is really the demonstration of one's character. Yes. So if you're going to give it the old college try, you know, you give it the old college try too many times there will be no trust in the, any of your relationships there'll be no trust in your own relationship to your own word and that has everything to do with one's character over character is built over time of consistently following through on promises they've made to i've made to myself and others and the demonstration of it in the face of insurmountable odds but i i do like what you said about what um, when you quoted what Justin Sterling said, because it's accurate. If you, if you look, it's really saying the same thing. Cause he says, you've got to keep that word. Whereas, yeah. you know, it's what we are talking about. You, unless you've experienced moving heaven and earth, you do not have the privilege to mitigate for the consequences. You don't. And that takes character to actually live that way that I'm not going to let myself off the hook for anything I'm going to actually fulfill on what I said, not only because it's to keep a promise, but it's because who you're developing yourself to be in the keeping of the promise. That's what's critical, is who you become for yourselves and others in keeping the promise. That's what's expansive. That's what's powerful. And that's what's the essence of really tying in one's character to the fulfillment of a promise. Because someone who has developed character relates to their promise, not as words like the old college try or giving it their (laughs) all. You know, we relate to our word as ourself. When I make a promise, I'm giving you all of me. And so to go back on that would be analogous to literally, I know it's grotesque, but slitting my own throat, Mm. right? Because myself, my life, energy is now on the line it's a unreasonable way to relate to one's character and one's word and it's i don't know if you guys are familiar with the quote you know that all progress depends on the, the unreasonable, unreasonable person man, yeah. Yeah?
1: Right? Shaw, yeah right george bernard yeah, shaw yeah george bernard shaw so
0: it may seem unreasonable relating to one's character and one's promise that way but hey shoot if you want to alter the planet you want to elevate humanity. You want to carve out your niche and be a leader. Guess what? You got to be unreasonable first with yourself through your relationship to yourself and your word and then with others. So it seems to me that
1: your thought leadership, as much as you teach all this great content to people about what to do around investing and how to think and how to structure it and whatnot, but the base, the bedrock foundation of it is character, Mm -hmm. trust and character. You develop your trust, you develop your character. It almost appears to me that anyone who does that, regardless of whether or not they follow what you specifically are saying inside 1 plus 12 about the specific strategies of wealth building, will build something worth having if they have that. Yep, And that's your real thought leadership, even more than the strategies of real estate investment and wealth building.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, that's why at 1 Plus 12, we say we develop people into financially independent and free because one can develop and elevate their financial situation. But if they don't develop the character to be a match, then there's a large probability of that wealth that you've attracted into your life to leave as fast as it came. You know, and that was my lesson, you know, when I retired the first time, my character was just not a match. My relationship to money, my spending habits were the same that they were for, you know, the prior two and a half decades. And when all this money came in, it was just uh, spent on the same frivolous, stupid things. And I can use the word stupid because I'm talking about myself. <laughs> and it was stupid, um, there, <laughs> right? It wasn't until I elevated my character and developed um, myself and, and really uh, fine-tuned the trust aspect of trust in myself and trust with others, it wasn't until that happened that I could look critically at what strategies financially to apply and when. So when we teach the strategies that we do at 1 Plus 12, yeah, they're, they're highly uncommon strategies. But at the end of the day, any financial transaction is finite, meaning it has a beginning, middle, and an end. The question is, what do you do in the middle? (laughs) So we deploy capital into deals and transactions, and we know it's going to come back to us plus profit at a later date. The question is, what do we do in the middle? And a reasonable person would do business as usual, but an unreasonable or an uncommon investor focuses on elevating their character so that when that profit and that capital returns, their character is already elevated to be a match to the already elevated level of profit and return that's going to come at a future date. And that's really critical. Like you said, that's really the essence of our thought leadership. While we do teach very unique strategies, the important factor that can be applied in several modalities, no matter if you're investing in real estate or anything, is what do you do in between transactions? Do you focus on business as usual or do you focus on elevating your character to be a match for the intended elevation in wealth when you actually get paid out? That's an uncommon question. And that, you know, for us at 1 Plus 12, that's a very critical question. In fact, we have people ask them to answer that uh, right from day one. I love it. I absolutely love it. Sign me up. Let's
1: go, Michael. We're signing <laughs> ourselves up. Everyone we know. This is it. So, in a in, in a private interview you and I did, and as well as a talk that you did for a group, Michael and I run, you really talked about the five rings of the Olympics, and you talk about how that worked in the in the Olympics in ancient Greece. It would really be great if you resurrected that during this particular podcast because I love that. I think it's <laughs> brilliant. I think people need to know this, and
0: I think it's it's important. Would you take a moment and do that now? Sure. You know, the Olympics nowadays is a very important event for uh, the participants and the competitors. In ancient times, it was actually a very important ceremony for all people in that the the people who were selected to represent their tribe or their um, village or their country, had to exude and express certain characteristics. So we all know the symbol of the Olympics is the five interlocked rings. And if you imagine in your mind's eye the five interlocking rings, the, middle, the top middle one, it's, I think it's yellow or whatever it is right now, but um, the top middle one, if you just raise that up a bit so it's just higher than the, the two um, beside it, it kind of looks like A star, but more importantly, it kind of looks like a person, you know, the two arms, two legs and a head. And that's actually how it was was represented anciently with the middle ring uh, slightly raised. And why that was is because it was a symbol of what in antiquity was referred to as a complete human being. So one of the rings stood for uh, Sidious, which meant swiftness of thinking. The other ring that represented the other arm would be fortius, which is physical strength, but included health. So you, you had to be healthy if you're going to be selected to represent your tribe or uh, village in, in the Olympics. And the legs, one leg was called uh, socius, which meant uh, nourishing, empowering uh, relationships in your community. And the other leg was... Um, moneda, which as we all know, um, anciently meant trust. And then the ring that represented the head was altius, which was elevation or elevated level of consciousness. So to be chosen to represent your tribe or village in the Olympics was a great honor. And, you know, it was to the point where if two tribes were at war with each other, during the Olympics, the war would stop and the champion from each of those camps would actually go and compete in the Olympics together. And that's how important this ceremony was, which now is, you know, it's uh, well, it's another dialogue about my commentary on what the Olympics are now. Um, but while they're currently, they're an uh, expression of high performance, it's really lost its touch with what it was referred to as in antiquity. Because even in those times, you not only had to be fast or strong physically, but you actually had to represent the complete human being. That was a powerful revelation when I first heard about it. And you know I share that because now, those are principles that one could live by right now. And uh, Sidious, Altius, fortieth socius and Moneta. You know, what would that be like if everybody really took it upon themselves to elevate their capabilities and aptitudes in each one of those distinctions? It would be phenomenal.
2: Only good things can come. Exactly. Love it. Love it.
1: Wow, this is this has been really, really, really brilliant. I've learned a lot listening to this. I've, I've heard some things you've said before, but I've heard some things newly and I've heard what you've said in a new way. It's definitely been an eye opener for me. And I'm wondering if, as we close off this particular version of the podcast, if you could tell people a little bit about uh, you and one plus 12 and how folks can get in touch with you give them some expert action steps that they can take in that regard. So maybe three expert action steps and a place they can uh, go to, to find out more about you and get some resources.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, you can always find us at twelve dot com. So that's the number one, P-L-U-S and the number 12.com. You can subscribe to our mailing list. And so every time that I'm in your jurisdiction or your country, you can check out and see when I'm speaking next. I am actually speaking, I'm here actually, yeah, that's why I'm here in Canada when it's, not that warm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here leading because I'm leading a workshop this uh, weekend, but the next time I'm back in the Mississauga area would be the first weekend in June. So action steps would be um, number one, just from our conversation, just to recap, be cognizant of what your pattern is on what your languaging of your counter thought or counter intention is. And instead of relating to that as the truth, relate to it as the signal for what you just thought previously is going to expand you. Number two, focus on building trust first with yourself. um, And the access to that is keeping your promises and then with others. And step number three is to continue to build and foster trust in those relationships so that when you begin to carve out that niche, for that thought that you're leading in the world, you have a healthy network of relationships where there's a solid level of trust so that they can hear what you have to offer. And then from that point on, step four, five, and six is become masterful at connecting the dots between what you have to offer to what the people who trust you need and want for their own elevation and growth in their life. So those would be my one, two, three, four, five, six steps.
2: <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Glenn. And all of the links and everything that you said can be downloaded in the show notes. The show notes are at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. And we'll have this episode along with all our, our other episodes. Really want to thank you uh, for, for coming today.
0: Yeah, it's been my pleasure.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Nikki. Awesome. Thank you again, Glenn. This was a fantastic interview. I really
0: enjoyed it. Brilliant.
1: You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com.
2: Thank you for listening.